standing for the reading of the scripture this morning. Good morning. Today I'm going to be reading out of Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through the end of the uh, end of the book. Wow, we're done, Philippians. It's on pages 1166 and 1167 if you'd like to join, join in and read along. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the length you have received, uh, you have revived your concerns for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share, my, share in my troubles, and you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment, and more I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for your word. And Father, I just pray that you would uh, give our brother uh, peace and uh, wisdom as to what it is that you have uh, for him to share with us. And let us hear and apply what it is that he's taught us. There's so many rich words in this about uh, uh, how to just uh, have a, a, a a good life and uh, putting aside all the other uh, things that uh, uh, that we don't need we know that you will provide and so help us to uh, hear and apply what it is our brother has to share we thank you father it's in Jesus name amen thank you good morning so excellent to be with you. So excellent to be preaching. Um, so let's let's dive in. In 1963, Johnny Cash penned a song, and I can't go as low as "Here Was a Man" on his Spirit of Christmas album. He performs it in a narrating form about Jesus and his crucifixion and his life and the impact that he had on the human race. And, it, and at the end of the song, he reads, More than 19 centuries have come and gone, and today he's a centerpiece of the human race, our leader in the column to human destiny. 
I think I'm well within the mark when I say that all of the armies that ever marched and all of the navies that ever sailed the seas and all the legislative bodies that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned, all of them put together have not affected the life of a man on this earth so powerfully than that one solitary life. Here was a man. <laughs> He's inspired, I think. Um, we, we come today to rejoice. Paul rejoiced in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Chapter 4, verse 4. And I am blessed to be finishing up our study in Philippians. It's interesting that I, I kind of started it off and now I get to finish it. And I'm just, I'm just so blessed. Uh, the main point of the sermon today is that Paul rejoices from how the Philippians benefit from their service to him as he highlights a contentment only found in Christ. And I'm going I'm to try to press into three points as I, as I work through the text. Rejoice in contentment, receive to bless, and respond with grace. Rejoice in contentment, receive to bless, respond with grace. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you that, um, gosh, we gotta, we gotta do this again. We gotta come together. We gotta worship. We gotta celebrate your resurrection. Jesus, I pray that you would um, stir us today by your spirit, that we may see a clearer picture of you. And really, in light of this, this season, we always need that, that extra stirring of, of the muck that's deep inside us. And I pray that we would rejoice as Paul rejoiced as he, as he penned this letter to the Philippians and as we finish and reflect back on the letter, Lord, that you would, you would help us be that kind of church. So, thank you. Amen. So rejoice in contentment. So the finality of the letter ends the way it began. The Apostle Paul was rejoicing. His rejoicing came from the partnership he had in the gospel with the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 5. His rejoicing came from the advance of the gospel, even when Christ was proclaimed with evil motives. He said, what does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. That's chapter 1, verse 18. Let me have a drink. Maybe I'll calm down a little bit. Um, all right, come on. He rejoiced at Christ's humility and servanthood. Chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. <clears throat> Paul rejoiced having two brothers, Timothy and Epaphroditus, to share ministry experience. Just give me a second. <laughs> and pastoral care for the church. 
even as he exhorts, gosh, dang it. So when this happens to me, I don't know, it just happens. Just pray, pray in your mind. Just that I calm down so I can finish this sermon. It's a big deal to be up here. So even as he exhorts uh, Iodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord at the beginning of chapter 4, the church with, was with Paul in prayer and in need. In verse 10, it says here, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So he's rejoicing. Paul acknowledged that the Philippians were revived, and another translation said renewed, in supporting him. Their concern was for his state of being, his physical needs, and his mental health. What's important to note is, is how, Paul shared, how, how Paul shared his perspective of being content and was reoriented away from circumstances. So he claims in verse 11 that his contentment doesn't come through the fulfillment needs of, of needs based on circumstance. Imagine with me for a moment. Perhaps that's that perhaps what's going on in Paul's mind was that he is making that statement was first recognizing let me let me start off with that line. Perhaps what's going on in Paul's mind as he's making that statement was first recognizing that he's in jail. And remembering when he was humiliated when he was beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, jailed again, and remembering uh, being bitten by a snake and oppressed by the political regime of the time. In light of that personal reflection, Paul's contentment was in the object of the ultimate desire, which was Christ. But how did God shape Paul in those moments? We need to look to verse 12. I know how, I, it says here, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, every, in, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of placing plenty of hunger and obedience and need. I've learned the, the secret of facing plenty of hunger, abundance, and need. It is important to pause here. And consider the use of these words, learned the secret. As I did the study, I went back to the original language, and in this string of words connotes there is a, uh, an initiating into the mysteries of God. Or to give one an intimate acquaintance with a thing. As Paul looked down onto his life, it is, it is within those moments of despair and difficulty hardship when he is met by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit instructed Paul, drawing him in to the very presence of God in Christ. Ultimately, Paul rooted in this truth. He pointed the Philippians to that truth, which he hung his hat on in verse 13. Paul's razor focus was on Christ. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. And I love in Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, 
it says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may, re may rest upon me for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So by means of application, let me begin with a question. What are the circumstances you encounter that make or break your, commitment, your contentment? If the bills are paid in full, are you content? Because there's going to be more bills that are going to come. Perhaps it is when your children obey. <laughs> you, that brings your contentment. I know as a father, I, it's, it's, I'm so content until the next time I have to meet them head on with the same issues. For me, a full stomach over after a delicious meal brings, con brings satisfaction, but later I'll be hungry again. So you see, contentment is a fleeting emotion, and when you link it to a circumstance, fulfillment will eventually disappoint. As we saw with Paul, God will use a circumstance as a mean to shape us in a contentment in Christ. And I, I, the, 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 the echo of this is found in Psalm 119, 145 through 152. I, I just, this is just so good. It says, with my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me. Thanks, I may, I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O oh Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose, and they, they are far from your law, but you are near, O oh Lord and all your commandments are true. Long that I have known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. As we look to Paul, he is modeling what faithfulness and contentment in God can look like when we are in relationship with Christ and dependent on him. We need Jesus to achieve this contentment. And it is at the cross where we lay bare the faith to particular circumstances for finding our hope and fulfillment. And it is, it is by the cross that we are set free to experience a freedom that is content in Christ. Even in the circumstances that the Lord ordains for us to encounter as a church, the Spirit will give us the grace to rejoice in all things because of Christ. So my illustration, <laughs> just the other day, my son, Nico, he's, he's become infatuated with the Nutcracker score. And there's one song in particular that he loves to listen to over and over and over again. So that song is just ingrained. I love the song. I love to watch him. So his grandmother was coming on a visit uh, the other day, and he wanted to share with her that song. And so he, he looked out the window, and he waited, and he called, when is Grandma going to be here? When is Grandma going to be here? And I said, she'll be here when she gets here. So he became more frustrated, and tears started to well up, and he continued to want his grandma there. Well, uh, Nico's disposition was telling, 
and even in my fatherly wisdom to, to call him to patience, to, to call him to, uh, to, to maybe overt his, uh, his thoughts to something else, um, it was to, to, to fall on deaf ears. But I think what this interaction showed me was how I can act like Nico when things don't go as I planned. Only by God's grace can I take my eyes off myself and fix them on Christ and where my affection is reoriented towards him. So we, we have uh, a rejoice, uh, rejoice to contentment, and then we have receive to bless, Philippians 4, 14 through 20. So what is interesting to consider how Paul transitioned from verse 13, which is I call, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, to then verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share in my, hard, in my hardships or trouble. And the Apostle Paul has received, as, we, as, we've, we've, as he's noted, the Apostle Paul has received everything needed in Christ to fulfill him. And yet, what he had received from the Philippians uh, was graciously appreciated. There is a sense where Paul is communicating to the church at Philippi that because of their gospel partnership, they are being the church by serving to his physical needs, and that's, that's a good thing. In fact, there were no other churches who entered into this dynamic of giving and receiving except the church at Philippi. Why was this the case? Well, the text doesn't really say, but what was highlighted is a great beauty in the way that the Philippians responded. And if you remember in chapter two, verses three through five, it says here that, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look to your own not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The Philippians took to heart this spiritual posture of service and unity as they aided Paul in his need. They supplied him monetarily, which was sacrificial for them and God honoring. But verse 17 is a linchpin verse that holds together Paul's argument. And I'll read it. He says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So the act of him receiving their benevolence wasn't to terminate on that gift, but rather for the Philippians to experience life out of the gospel for their benefit. The fruit Paul was referring to was faithfulness to Christ, dependent prayer, and concern for others. Paul finished his point noting that the Philippians' service to Paul were acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. So they were, they were on point with God. In the midst, or in, in this mindset, Paul guaranteed the Philippians that their father would provide all their needs so that then they could supply to the needs of others to the glory in Christ Jesus. There's a, duly, there's a, a dulling dynamic of giving and receiving most notably recognized during the Christmas season in our consumeristic culture. Here are some holiday taglines that I found as, 
as you find that, that you'll find in advertisements. So we have peace and joy sold here. It is an awesome Christmas gift and it's on sale. Okay. You have everything, we have everything they want. My kids love that one. Out of control Christmas sale. In Acts 20, chapter 35, Paul says, In all things I have shown you that working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. While this scripture is so convicting, during the Christmas season, there is a temptation to fall into the glitter and the gifts where the spirit of giving and receiving may have become a bit misguided. What is your motivation to give, to receive? In the Advent devotional, Come Let Us Adore Him by Paul Tripp, he writes in the introduction, Sadly, many of us are, aren't gripped by the stunning, magnificent events and truths of the birth of Jesus anymore. Sadly, many of us are no longer gripped by wonder as we consider what this story tells us about the character and plan of God. Sadly, many of us are no longer humbled by what the incarnation of Jesus tells us about ourselves. We walk by the garden of the incarnation, but we don't see the roses of grace anymore. Our eyes have gone lazy and our hearts have grown cold. This isn't a guilting, but it is a plea for us all as we, as we take a moment and reflect in our lives in the, in, and in the shininess of this season. What are we giving and receiving? In Matthew chapter 2, the Magi come on the scene looking for the star because under the star they're going to find the greatest gift. And we read in Matthew 10, or rather 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. With us in mind, God placed the star as a pointer to our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace. In that moment, we look up to the star and we take our gaze off ourselves and we worship Jesus. And then 33 years later, we look up again at our Savior and his arms are wide on the cross and he's inviting us in to the kingdom. The gaping hole left by the removal of our sin is forever filled up with his loving mercy and his grace of forgiveness forever. We are justified before God, so we are free to enjoy this, this season rather than be bound up by the trappings of it. And so we can stand together as Christ's church, as Cornerstone, 
and we're partners in the gospel. As we corporately gather, we sing Christmas carols and we rejoice with our voices during this time. And not only that, we await in anticipation for the second coming of Christ. Let me sum up with Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. Yeah, I want to rest in that. Because I have to say, for me, it's hard being a parent at Christmas time. I go through so many emotions during the season. And I walk this fine line of loving the lights and loving the Christmas tree and loving the presents. But then I, I get angry and I get frustrated on how this season can be muted and I have to engage with my kids as they're, as, as, and then myself, as, as we look to gifts to quench something that can only be quenched with Christ. But I keep in minded, I'm, I, I'm reminded by the Spirit, the, the, the other name for Jesus, Emmanuel. God with us, which means I'm not abandoned. And, and he grounds me and reminds me of what this season truly is so I can rejoice. So as we receive to bless, we respond with grace. As Paul closes out the letter, he exhorted the Philippians to respond to every saint with a joyful greeting. They were to live out their faith with authenticity. It's boots on the ground faith. In the midst of fellow brothers and sisters who had crossed their paths, the Philippians continued the, apostles, the Apostle Paul's love for all the saints. Sometime, something as simple as a greeting to another person gave the Philippians an opportunity to project a gospel forward, God-centered love without pretense. What's important to not overlook is the specialized greeting to Caesar's household. And we know from chapter 1, verse 12, that Paul is imprisoned in Caesar's, uh, Caesar's palace, and, and he served to advance the gospel by proclaiming the gospel. And so I'm sure that I can just imagine the halls are echoed by Paul's words, follow Christ, follow Christ, and the Spirit opening the hearts of, of those that were servants and slaves and, and staffers of, of the emperor's household, and they came to faith. According to one commentary, because of Paul's imprisonment, he must have interacted with the servants and the staff as the Holy Spirit opened their hearts to believe. How cool is that? All of what Paul encouraged them with this letter comes to fruition in a simple greeting. So how do we respond to the people we meet? Is it with grace? Or do we respond to one another with grace? Firstly, we have to be around one another to greet one another. 
Secondly, there needs to be an a desire to engage with Deb. So when we come together on Sundays, we're, we're, we're in each other's space. On Wednesdays when we come together, we're in each other's presence. We, we break out, we discuss our lives, and we open our hearts to one another. There has to be a willingness to belong to one another because we belong to Christ. In Hebrews 6, 9 through 12, it says that though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, that things, belong to sal things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each of you each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. I don't want us to be a lazy church. I know we don't want to be a lazy church. We want to be an imitating church, an, in, an imitating Paul as followers of Jesus kind of a church. So as, as, a, as a, I think, a fantastic example of what I experienced being, uh, being greeted with grace is when I preached at Terra Nova in North Adams a couple months ago. And that church greeted me just like Paul called the Philippians to greet. They welcomed me with uh, Pastor Paul, not the Apostle Paul, but Pastor Paul of Terra Nova. He, he welcomed me with a hug and it, just a big smile. The worship team and the greeters were in the business to make me feel welcomed. The congregation showed so much grace while I preached. And the church at large prayed for me and my family. They prayed for this church. They prayed for the mission that God has called us to and Bethel and Barry and beyond. It was such a marvelous day. And, and as I reflect back, it, it just, it was such an evidence of God's grace. So to conclude, this letter to the Philippians really is a letter and an invitation to Cornerstone Church to imitate. We follow pastor, pastors Aaron, Tyler, and Chris, just as the Philippians followed Paul. Our, el our, our elders rejoice over us and we rejoice with them with one and one another. Why? Because we rejoice in contentment we have in Christ. If you don't have this contentment, come talk with me. Come talk with us. We would love to, to chat and pray with you, to, to share with you this contentment that we can have in Christ. And if it is God's will, maybe this will be the first day that you experience Jesus. We receive to bless we receive grace to bless the way Paul received the gifts from his church. 
We can bless the giving of others by showing big gratitude for their sake as they offer up their time, talent, and treasure. Taking the next step within, and then taking the next step within that relationship to engage at the heart for their spiritual growth and maturity. As believers, we get to respond, we get to respond to one another with grace that was established for us before the foundations of the world. We get to look to one another in the eye with all the hope and the encouragement in Jesus this Christmas season. See, beyond the constraints of COVID, looking past the luring jingle jangle of an advertisement for the next greatest gift, we Cornerstone Church can say Merry Christmas. And I'm thankful I'm here with you. And I pray that you're thankful I'm, you're here with me. That's being a church this Advent season. And in that, I rejoice. Amen? Let me pray. Father, I just thank you for your words of truth. And I guess I have to thank you for the tears because they're real. I thank you, Lord, for this church that you've called me to be a part of and you've called me to shepherd to some consent. I pray, Lord, that you would just enliven our hearts to believe in the truth of the gospel during this season, that we can look to the letter that you penned through the Apostle Paul as, a, as really just a, a playbook on how we can be a church that rejoices in you. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us if there is a stirring in our heart for those that don't know you, Lord, that you would set upon them the grace to believe, and through it all, we would be a rejoicing church, a God-honoring church, and that our eyes would be lit up because of the gospel that's in our hearts. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us again in, in song? Our next song is In Christ Alone.